1: Welcome to the Know Podcast with me, Nikki Spo. Me, 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 me. What is up, truth speakers? Welcome to another episode of The Know with me, Nikki Spo. You are back for more and I love it. So, we got to come up with a name for our crew, by the way. All right. So, we have some homework to do. Come up with a crew name and bonus points for your most creative hashtag. You can hit me up with your suggestions at The Know with Nikki Spo on Instagram. So let's pull a rabbit out of a hat today, guys and gals. Let's make some magic. And let's see, who do we have here but none other than Virginia Akar. Virginia Akar is the founding CEO of Girls Incorporated of Greater Miami. And as an advocate for education equity, she works to ensure that girls in underserved communities have access to support, resources, and information that will lead to positive academic, health, and behavioral outcomes. Her young program serves 180 girls in six after-school programs and focuses on developing social and emotional learning. Girls Incorporated creates opportunities for girls to learn and practice critical life skills, which are typically overlooked in the traditional schoolhouse setting. You guys, I am super passionate about this. And our special guest today, their CEO, Virginia Akar, is one of those women who lights up a room when she walks in. She has pivoted fearlessly throughout her life and has always remained a girl's girl. She sees the big picture when it comes to being a woman. She has a vision for us and for young ladies everywhere. And today we will not only get to learn about all of the work she is doing with Girls Inc, but also how she has spun gold in her life and has adapted and thrived through different chapters. Here is a glimpse into the life and mission of Virginia Akar. Let's dive right in. Virginia, thank you so much for taking the time to be on The Know. Welcome.
2: Thank you. It's good to be here.
1: I'm excited to have you on because I think your personal message is very empowering, but I also love what you're doing for girls in our community. So you are an attorney and you took time away from being a prosecutor to raise your three children and quite a lot of time at that, 13 years, and then you proceeded to get your master's in law at 48 years old with a focus on human rights. So fast forward, you are now the CEO and founder of the Miami chapter of Girls Inc., which proudly serves girls in underserved communities. Um, I've learned that Girls Inc. focuses on the whole girl. What exactly does that mean?
2: Just going on my experience as a mother... Um, When you're raising kids or teaching children, you can't do that in a silo. You can't sit there and teach math and expect them to learn if you're not addressing all of the other components that make up a human being and certainly a child. So when we address the whole girl, we try to address all of the different factors that go into navigating growing up as a girl and specifically growing up as a girl in Miami. So we focus on well-being, mental and physical well-being, academic well-being, um, fun, right? The stuff that's social, like what what is social fun these days? What is healthy social fun these days? So we address it from a variety of lenses, including um, their own different cultural backgrounds, making sure that we're creating a, an environment that's inclusive, that takes into account all of the different ethnic cultural backgrounds, especially here in Miami. Um, you can't quite reach and teach if you're not taking those different things into account. So when we say that we are teaching the whole girl, um, it's through that lens, through those many different aspects that
1: go into
2: raising any little human being.
1: Where is this support missing and how is Girls Inc. filling the gaps? For
2: years and years, for decades, there are very specific gender stereotypes about what girls are supposed to look like, what they're supposed to act like what they're supposed to grow up into, those gender stereotypes that say girls aren't scientists, they're not astronauts, they're not engineers. I'm certainly a, you a know, victim of that, of being ingrained with this idea that girls are bad at math. That's not true. We step in to make sure that um, we're breaking those gender barriers and making sure that girls have access to information and resources and support that, gives them sort of an open field to explore their personal strengths and understand their weaknesses. And that's okay. So we don't, you know, get before the girls and say, everybody's great at everything. Mm -hmm. We help them find their truths and what their strengths are. And really importantly, we help girls lean on each other versus pitted against each other. So we teach girls to embrace each other and learn from each other
1: where do you feel like that where it's missing the most, like in the school system, in the home. Whether it's parents working double shifts and just
2: not having the time they wish they had to do that kind of work. As teachers who are spending seven, eight hours a day with children, they know that that stuff is needed. It not only would help the girls, the kids, it would help the teachers do their job. When you can support the emotional needs of a child, everything else sort of starts to fall into place. So it isn't that Um, you know, the the school system doesn't provide it for lack of want or or awareness that it's needed. It's just there are so many hours in a day. And with so many demands, there just isn't room necessarily. And this is one of the largest school districts. So it's very challenging to incorporate um, the social emotional learning components into the school day. And then taking it at home, same thing.
1: It sounds like it takes a lot of intentionality, right? From everybody who's in the mix. So that's the parents, right? It takes intentionality of the parents and parents don't always have the time or the bandwidth, right? Whether it's job or, or even like their own, like this is all generational on some level too. Like if they don't have the social emotional tools, right? To then pass down. And we're talking about generational. And I talk about in my podcast, I talk about generational trauma a lot, but it's not just generational trauma. It's just experience, life experience of what does being a woman mean? What does being a girl mean? What does being a boy mean? And like you said earlier, it's, you know, a lot of this is societal. They're passed on from like what we learned in our families. Um, and it, and it goes a long way, but what you said also about teachers, that teachers know that it's missing. I can speak for myself. I was a teacher in an inner, inner city middle school. Um, and it was all about test taking and test readiness And, you know, I I was lucky enough to teach English language arts where we could teach value systems through literature, right? So I got to hit on that a little bit, but I definitely remember there not being enough time in the day to focus fully on that element. And where I really got to do that was in coaching. Um, I coach an after-school dance team. And the reason why I bring that up is because the role of the mentor, right, outside of your home or outside of necessarily a teacher, and that's not to say that it can't be a teacher. It could be a teacher, but mentorship is so important. Are you providing girls with the mentors as part of the program? Absolutely. So that is
2: um, one of the components when you talk about whole girl, right? So if you don't have... Um, I'm going to use the word relevant, right? So it has to be a relevant mentor because if you are surrounded by, you know, brilliant, successful people who do have really good values, but you're not relating, then it's kind of irrelevant, right? You're not going to reach the child. So we get very intentional about who our mentors are and our facilitators are the first line of fire. We hire facilitators to get in front of our girls whose lived experiences reflect the girls. And that's one. Right. And we're already seeing the relationship. So we take the, the first semester that we're in school. We attribute that to relationship and trust building between our facilitator and the girls. We encourage our facilitators get to know them you have all of these different activities and trainings yes but your job in semester one is to build that relationship so that there is that line of communication and then we go into the community so we're living in miami where we have the most very diverse incredible mixed culture of women from all walks of life doing all different things who have stories to share so we have three different mentoring groups we have um one with the Miami Heat dancers.
1: This makes me so excited. Like, I, like on a side note, I'm like so proud of all the work that, that the Heat and the Miami Heat dancers are doing to really sh- kind of shift in a positive way, like the role of the Miami Heat dancers in the community. Um, it's just, it makes me so proud to be part of that sorority. A
2: few years ago I was at a game and the big screen was on and one of the dancers, I love the dancers. So I go and I, I love watching the dancers. So the big screen comes on and one of your dancers was on there And they gave like a bio on her her background. And I think she was a pre-K teacher. And I was like, what do you mean she's a pre-K teacher? I thought she was a dancer. And that was the first time that I realized that the dancers are these incredibly strong, smart and bold women who have like multi layers to them. And I said, oh my God, I've got to reach out. And I did. And that began the relationship. So we've been in conversations for three years and we finally launched this very intentional mentoring program um, where the heat dancers will um, visit each program each month and have conversations. Yes, they have fun and they dance because we have a, a dance program in our through our programs, but it's all about the conversations. And you know them, so you know the stories and the inspiration that they have to share with our girls. So that's one of our groups. Um, A second mentoring group that we have is the FIU women's soccer team. So that's a new new partnership that we just started. Um, they reached out to us um, because they wanted to get more involved in the community and have a social justice and impact. So um, that just started. And the first meetup was incredible. Now we have girls who want to play soccer, who were not exposed to intentional soccer like that. And then the third group we have is 150 Women Strong. And that we reach out to women um, in different um, places in their careers, whether they're um, retired from career, just starting their career, mid-career. And by career, I, I, I'm not being specific. So we are looking for women to join that program who have a story of inspiration to share. And those stories could be how I fell and got back up 10 times, how I navigated through school you know, on loans. Maybe I dropped out. Maybe I came back we, we want to hear those stories because that's truth. That's reality. Um, that's not fairy tale. And those are the people that we want in front of our girls because all it takes sometimes is one conversation to really reach a girl and have her envision herself as something that she might not have envisioned before. And that's why it's so important to have women mentors um, who, who really reflect the, the lives of our girls
1: when we are set to define ourselves um like i don't like to put myself in a box of like i'm only this one thing but one thing that i know for sure that i am is a storyteller and a truth speaker and i think more and more of us are stepping into a space where we are open to speaking our truths um and telling our stories because we realize that that sense of camaraderie especially in a in um in the sphere of women especially like an older woman paired with a younger woman and when i say older woman woman versus a younger woman i don't mean like somebody above x age i mean like somebody with more life experience so i am an older woman compared to a 19 year old young woman right so and that's what i that's what i mean but i think that those stories um it allows us to connect and bond in ways like you mentioned that we we wouldn't have expected and it allows us to imagine a life that maybe we thought was beyond our capacity and that we get to have the opportunity to rethink how that could be a reality for us making dreams come true in that way.
2: We've often had women from the 150 women um mentoring group come back to us and say like they were inspired. You know, they walk in expecting it to be a one-way street where they're telling a story and inspiring and helping and whatever, but what ends up happening is the girls teach them. So we had an attorney, it's a partner in her litigation firm, do exactly that, come in and she spoke. And what ended up happening is when she, this woman was Hispanic and she looked at the screen and saw Brown and black female faces. And It reminded her that when she's, it was a virtual event, when she's on a screen or in a boardroom, you know, meeting room at her firm, that's not what she sees. She doesn't see that cultural diversity and mix. So she went back to her firm and started a a group inspired by this event, um, where now she leads a um, women and gender cultural litigation group, whatever, for women at her firm. And her firm embraced it. Like They they love the idea. So I think we need to be bold in our asks and not make assumptions that we'll get shut down. You have to do that. You have to, because people, I think today more than ever, are willing to take steps to make a change, to improve. I think there's a general awareness out there that women belong in the boardroom, but not just because we need to balance out the numbers, but because our voices really make a difference in the boardroom in every industry. So I think that message is finally sinking in little bits at a time. There's still a lot of work to do, but that's what I mean about that, um, you know, mutually inspiring opportunities when you're in front of our girls.
1: If we're just trying to balance the number, I'm going to make my voice heard no matter what. So you, I got my foot in the door, and now you're going to hear my voice. And I say my as in, in a general term, right? But you're going to hear my voice, and you're going to see how valuable my voice is. And I, and I think that's what's happening. So Girls Inc. was formerly... Strong Girls, Inc. Was the name change significant and what prompted the shift? Uh, So Strong Girls
2: came about because back after I got my master's in intercultural human rights, um, I knew that I wanted to work with girls, women and girls. And I knew that to have the greatest impact, I should dial it back and start with girls when they're young. So I looked around the country. I had no intention of reinventing the wheel. I just wanted to bring a program that worked. And um, I landed on Girls, Inc., that was the program i loved everything about it i love their um whole girl approach and um everything about the way they did things research did things research based so i reached out to them but in truth um they were in the middle of a growth strategy and weren't ready to take on a new affiliate but they did give me sort of the roadmap of what it would take to become an affiliate of girls inc You know, in Miami. And I kept that little roadmap, tucked it aside, and then said, okay, but we can't wait three years to get there. Let's just start this. So we named it Strong Girls. And I looked, I did a lot of research. I I probably spent 10 to 12 months um, looking into what is that factor that we can bring. We've got the girls for two hours a day, four to five days a week. What can we do in that scope of time that's really going to be the most impactful? What are they missing that we can bring into the picture that's going to open doors and and help um, with all of the social emotional stuff going on? And it was that it was social emotional um, skill building tools, and so we we started creating our own curriculum around that. But we got really intentional with our training of the teachers because. The way I looked at it, like, okay, I spent 10 to 12 months researching. Now I need to transfer that knowledge to whoever's going to do this work because it's not not me, right? I can't split myself in 50 people. So how do I transfer that? And so we set out to build a really robust training program that's ongoing. So that's how we built out. The first school um, was in Opelaka. It's Beacon College Prep. It's a Title I charter school. And we started our first program there for 30 girls in elementary school. And those girls are now in seventh and eighth grade, um, amazingly. So they're, they're growing up, but luckily we Continue with them, so we stayed with that school, and now we have a middle school program there as well. So um, from that, we grew to five schools where we're in today, and our our growth model is you know slow and steady because we don't ever want to sacrifice quality for quantity and just throw fifty programs out there if we can't scale them to that degree of quality where every single trainer every single facilitator that's in front of the girls they themselves understand what it is they're teaching the mission of the organization and why it's so important but also that they feel supported that we as an organization have the bandwidth to keep doing those bi-weekly meetings and trainings otherwise you you spread yourself too thin so we started strong girls with one school back in 2017 and we're now at five. Um, And then back in, it was the pandemic and I had kind of a little time, you know, we shifted to virtual and that kind of really put a little more time on my hands in terms of programming. And I remembered Girls Inc. (laughs) And I said, let me revisit this, see if they um, are now ready for us now that we have, you know, more programs. And sure enough, they were very interested. They were looking at the Miami market and wanted to be here. And then um, in December of last year, we became Girls Inc. of Greater Miami. Greater Miami.
1: Well, congratulations! It sounds like this is a story of for you of not giving up, right? Like you, you initially you you made the ask, right? And you earlier said we need to be bold in our asks. So you made the ask, and you got a no. Uh, my business partner and I, Sloan Spanierman, we always say we're not afraid of the no. which is funny because the podcast is called the no, <laughs> you know. But like, so we're not afraid of the no. We're not afraid of the no. We're not afraid of being told no because to me. No is not yet. I'm like, that's going to be a not yet. Maybe not today. Maybe sometime down the road. And that sounds like it's exactly what you did. You're like, okay, I can't partner with Girls Inc. just yet. I'm still so passionate about this that I'm going to pursue it on my own terms with this blueprint that I have. You come back to revisit and you eventually get the yes. So you turned your no into a not yes. You got got your bold ask eventually. What does feminism mean to you?
2: Feminism to me is the power to know yourself and be yourself without falling into a trap of who you're supposed to be that is the most powerful vision of being a female is embracing who you are and it's not gender specific who you are is you as a human being as a person and then you know understanding that everybody around you um you you have the right the power to discard those around you that that aren't doing good for you you know it's that personal growth empowerment giving that to yourself i think that is the ultimate in in feminism
1: i love that so much thank you for sharing that with me so i'm going to bring up something super random um, it's really random that i'm going to bring up cardi b you know who she is right <laughs> Okay, so I remember people getting really upset about her WAP song, W-A-P. I don't know if you're familiar with the song. Okay, yes. And how it's teaching girls to be sexually inappropriate. So I started having a conversation with a guy friend um, and we had different opinions on this, but I will never forget what he said. He said, maybe you'll never understand because you're not a girl mom. Because I have two boys. He's like, maybe you just won't get it. You know why I'm so upset about this Cardi B song and the video because you're not a girl mom. And I remember thinking to myself, hold on. I am a girl. Like that qualifies me <laughs> to have an opinion on women's bodies, my my body, definitely, and how women are portrayed or portraying themselves, choosing to portray themselves as it pertains to pop culture as a female. So now I'm not bringing this story up to talk about Cardi B and whether her lyrics or moves or whatever, whether or not they're appropriate. But if we zoom out, right, I do know what it feels like to want to roar in my personal power to stand as a queen with conviction and confidence in who I am, despite what society thinks I should be. So I recall that conversation because I feel like most, if not all women have felt that desire, right? I'm not talking about like sexually anything, sexual, anything sexually, being sexually inappropriate or not. I'm talking about the desire to stand in your highest power, your highest truth. And I think we've, we've all felt that from time to time and we want to revel in our womanhood. And I think many of us know the answers and it's answers plural to what I'm going to ask you next. Um, what are the obstacles then of being a girl? There's this deep
2: ingrainment, if that's a word, um, that runs through generations subtly sometimes, and sometimes not so subtly, that from the time you're walking, talking, toddling, you're expected to do things a certain way. So if you're young, you know, it starts out when you're very young, as a little girl, you maybe have a, a daughter and a son, and the son comes back with scraped knees, and it's like, oh, don't get up, you know, don't, yeah, don't cry, and all that, That's another problem telling boys they can't cry and a girl comes home with scraped knees and you're hugging and coddling and instinctively. Is it instinctively or is it taught? Is it something that's been handed down generation after generation? So the obstacles are, I think um, a lack of awareness in separating what is true instinct versus what is learned behavior. So understanding, and it's not for bad intention, you know, As mothers, you know, I I can say guilty many times of treating, I have a, a, a girl and two boys and guilty as charged of treating them differently, instinctively or learned. I can tell you it was learned. So... It, that that is such a challenge, and the best way to overcome that challenge is through awareness. And how do you get awareness? You educate yourself. You you talk. You speak about these things, and you stay open minded when somebody challenges you on it. And and you know, it was my daughter who challenged me as she got older um, and did her own work and and studies, and she we would have conversations, and I thought I was saying things that were so no brainers, obvious. And she challenged me on it and I fought her on it. And then I realized she's right. I'm repeating things that I learned that aren't necessarily true. So it's staying open, keeping your ears open without being defensive to other opinions. And I think that's a huge problem in every aspect of our our culture right now where people are not keeping their ears open. They're quick to repeat a headline or a phrase or something they, they heard and stick to it and fight like crazy for their point and close their ears. It's, it's a strange phenomenon happening right now, but certainly girls and women are affected by it. That's a huge challenge when messages coming, really strong messages from social media are misinterpreted. So like you said, Cardi B, right? So. What is that message? Is Cardi B just some you know, crazy rapper who's using really raunchy lyrics, or is she being bold and roaring out her feminism, her version of it? So whether as a mother you choose to have your children listen to that or not, that's a different question, but can we respect her for choosing to use that as her vehicle for expression? And, you know, there will always be critics, even for how a female is dressed. You know, we still have that problem of, you know, if somebody, a, a female is walking dressed a certain way, there's body shaming going on left and right. Oh, she shouldn't be wearing that. And That's not appropriate here. You You have it and you have it from women. So women are still contributing to that. So I think and it's overwhelming when you think of how much work there is to do but as females we've always been the target of having to fight for things that everybody else, that males just get the right to vote right we had to fight for that you know the the right to be uh, to work you know women to attend college all of those things we've been fighting for i don't think the fight will ever stop um but i definitely think it's a way better time to be a woman right now than it was um, 50 years ago or even, you know, 25 when I was, you know, working and as as a lawyer. So I think we're progressing, but the challenges and obstacles are there and we awareness is the most important part and not just for women to be aware, but men and to help educate men and bring them into the conversation in a non adversarial way. So, that we're not creating that huge divide.
1: When it comes to girlhood and womanhood, and really that, you know, like the concept of teaching females to stand in their power, where does teaching critical thinking skills come in and understanding what motivates us to act or not act in ways that align with our own personal inner knowings?
2: It, it's so important. So, a lot of the work we do with our girls. Um, is through mindfulness. And when I say mindfulness, I'm, I'm referring to the very scientific mindfulness. So there is mindfulness of, you know, walking down the street and, uh, you know, appreciating the trees and the beauty and hearing the sounds. That's one form of mindfulness. But we also get very um, intentional about teaching girls to pay attention when, when their mind is running away and help bring them back, right? So mindfulness is one way to make you realize when you're receiving a message is, are you receiving that message with other emotions that you already have underlying, or are you receiving that message and looking at it for what it is? And that gives you the ability to critically think about not just the message, but the reaction it's having on you. So you just, read something that was really upsetting really enraging it definitely had an effect on you and your emotions triggered you are you able to recognize that you just got triggered something you read just triggered you and an emotion now wants you to behave in a certain way if you can get to that point you're now in control of your behavior your responses versus getting triggered being able to critically think and critically analyze yourself is so important as you're developing certainly as a young girl but it never ends you know critical thinking i think is is becoming a lost art these days you know where people are not stopping we're in a fast 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 world where information hurry up process 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 and we're not stopping to think much less critically think and understand who wrote this message and why might they be writing that what are they thinking what triggered them to behave this way or do this.
1: What are the three main pillars of Girls Inc? The experiences that we provide.
2: So we provide a whole girl experience, um, teaching them to live strong, smart, and bold lives. So it's healthy living, academics, and um, research-based programming. So through those three categories, three pillars, we Create programs. So with Girls Inc., the national organization, um, it's not a mandated curriculum, right? You're not required to teach this. Um, As long as you're providing the Girls Inc. experience through those three pillars, um, you're pretty much you have the flexibility to create your programs responsive to the needs of the girls. And that makes so much sense because there is no one size fits all. And that's totally it, it just wouldn't work, right? You can't compare right. girls in Miami with girls in the Midwest or LA. So everybody's different. And if, you know, I don't ever want to be um, part of an organization that's just throwing something out there based on a theory that it works. We are constantly um, getting responses, feedback from our parents, from the girls, from teachers. And we have pivoted. I can't tell you how many times because, you know, part of the the surveys that we send out ask you for feedback. What's working? What's not? What would you like to see? What would you like gone? And we change it. And that's the first thing we tell the girls when we start the programming: is this is your program. We want to hear from you. You are the leaders and the voices of this program. This is not traditional school. This is your time. You're here because you want to be. But you know, Girls Inc. National has an incredible platform, very supportive of every affiliate, and they definitely get feedback constantly, wanting to know, you know, what's working in Miami, what's not working in Miami, how are you guys doing? So it's great to be part of a national organization that has been doing this. So well for over a hundred years, um, wow. serving girls. Yeah, over a hundred years. So um, we're you know we're incredibly proud to be bringing that to Miami. I knew that's what I wanted to do because they do it well, they do it right, and they give you enough
1: flexibility um, where it makes sense. How important is the partnership with the girls' families?
2: It's really important. For the most part, we're working with girls who whose mothers or guardians are working themselves. And the reason they're in after school is because the mothers or guardians aren't home and can't take care of them. We're very transparent about what the girls are doing during the program. We send the flyers home, we call every parent before we start, we introduce ourselves, our facilitators speak to them and let them know this is what we're doing, and then we have regular feedback throughout the year. And then at the end of each session, we have a gathering with families. We look at it as a partnership, not just with parents, but with families. Um, with siblings, we we need to understand, you know, who who are the girls um, surrounded by in their daily lives and the schools themselves.
1: And how did you become so passionate about this cause? Like, what is the backstory? Essentially, what is your backstory?
2: I've often asked myself that question, how did I get here? Like, what got me to this point? Because I know that I'm where I should be. Like, I've never been so fully satisfied that the work I'm doing is, exactly what I should be doing and it was a journey so you know I I grew up um, daughter of Cuban immigrants who themselves had no education at all moved to Brooklyn New York in the 60s and I grew up there till I was 12 Um, you know grew up to me it was the greatest childhood in the world I had no idea that we were poor until we moved to Miami so we moved to Miami and um, that was you know quite the the Eye opener, I guess, because we moved to Miami Beach in a one-bedroom apartment, six of us. My grandmother was with us, Um, but I had a great childhood. My peers became my inspiration because conversations about college were not had in my home. Not for lack of you know good intention. It just wasn't in there. You don't know what you don't know. Ended up going to University of Florida, um, then graduated. Yeah. Um, but even that was a bumpy ride. Um, you know, I was very lost. It was a very big school. I didn't have guidance, and I ended up um, getting put on academic probation for a semester. And I was horrified because I you know I graduated from Beach High with honors. I was a good student, a really good student, and everything sort of fell apart at, in Gainesville. And I thought, okay, this is it. I'm done. But then I, I, my my pride wouldn't let me. So I knew, okay, I have to go back. I enrolled at FIU for that one semester that I was put off on probation, and I took um, a public speaking class, and that was great. I loved that. So that sort of empowered me again, and I, I picked myself up and I went back. I went back. Go
1: to Panthers, US. by the way, for getting you back on your feet. Go Panthers.
2: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I graduated as a journalism major. And worked for a newspaper for a little while and knew that's not where I wanted to be. I went to law school, graduated, became a prosecutor, and it was in juvenile um, that I really felt I. I was in a role where I should be. I said, you know, this is a broken system and it is not the child's fault nor is it the parent's fault who did or didn't show up, nor is it the caseworker's fault. The system is broken. How the heck do you fix that? And that stayed with me and I ended up having, you know, three kids by the time I left the state attorney's office, stayed home, raised my own and so, and that thought never left me. This sense of injustice stayed with me. It's not fair that I get to do this with my kids. And, you know, my kids aren't going to end up in front of a juvenile um, court judge because I'm doing this, not because they're better than those kids. And that that got me to this. But that's why I say the road, you know, never doubt where the road is taking you. Just go with it. You know, go and, and trust yourself. And if you feel, I think we all have an inner feeling and an inner voice that is telling us we're on the right path, even when The path offers a lot of resistance because it did, you know, that path that I just summed up, boy, was there a lot of resistance along the way from all directions. But if you know you're doing the right thing, stay with it.
1: There are so many of us that have desires to reinvent ourselves at different stages of our lives. um, And we also experience tremendous fear in doing so. So what is your advice on facing that fear? Like, what are your tips on overcoming that fear so we can step into our essence?
2: Lean on people. It's something I never did. Everybody leaned on me and I was happy to be that person that people leaned on, but I never leaned. I almost saw it as a weakness, you know, to ask for help or ask for advice. Like, no, I'm supposed to know everything. And when I started leaning on people and having conversations, it was so surprising and inspiring. There's no dumb question. As cliche as that sounds, it's true. Don't be afraid to look dumb. So what if you look dumb? You just got some information that you needed.
1: Do the homework fearlessly. Virginia, thank you so much. You are so inspiring. Truly, you're so inspiring. Thank you. It's great to be here. I love what you're doing and happy to be a part of it. Thank you so much for listening to The Know. If you loved this episode, go ahead and share it with a friend. Words are so powerful and someone may need to hear what we covered today. And if you really loved this episode, please take a moment to rate the show and leave a review. Your comments are so important and valued and they give other listeners insight on what to expect on The Know. You can connect with me personally via Instagram at NikkiSappSpo and The Know with Spo my hope for you today is that you are fearless and looking inward so that you can be your highest most authentic self and go after the life of your dreams